0: The following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: Father God, it is a humbling thing to come and to gather and worship you, our Almighty God. Because it is only by you that we can come here at all. By the faith that you have called us to, and by your great and rich grace by which we've been saved. And so this morning, Lord, we celebrate that. We're going to do that this morning with this text. Father, a text that is, is known to probably most of us. So, God, help us to see past that which we know or think we know and see what your word is speaking to us through this, this common story. Lord, that we would see your gospel truth in all of its fullness and all of its glory. Lord, I pray now that uh, I would just be a vessel of your truth and that hearts would be soft to be able to hear your word and that you you alone would be glorified in the work that you're going to be doing in our lives in these coming days pray this in the name of jesus amen what it is stand up here and your hands get wet and your mouth gets dry (laughs) i want to look at luke chapter 19 the first first 10 verses this morning and this is a, a well-known story. Those of us that grew up in the church, we heard this story preschool. This is the story of Zacchaeus. And I want us to be able to see that God is really demonstrating his gospel fully in this text. There is The, the, the full story of salvation is being presented here in the story of Zacchaeus. Both in God's giving of his grace and in our receiving of his grace. There's, a, there's a, a, a little danger in going to a, a well-known text, and especially a story text, because we can just kind of sit back and go, oh yeah, I know that. I know that. It's good. So, encourage you to not think that you know this, because perhaps there's something that God is, is speaking to us here. But that being said, a great story. And those of you who have the, the, uh, the calling and, and the opportunity to teach our children, this story is an important one. Because By it, we teach the gospel. This story is a little bit like the difference, uh, to, to me, as, as I look at this, it's a little bit like the difference between taking history class in high school and then taking history classes in college. I, I have an undergraduate degree in history and philosophy, and so I remember sitting in college history classes being amazed at hearing familiar events and going, they never taught us that. You know, you go back to a high school history text, like, oh, man, they left a lot of stuff out. This is important stuff. Why did they leave this out? Um, just just a, one example of that, and, and I actually discovered this on my own when I had to do a research paper in a high school history class. But I, I wanted to do something a little bit different, so I'm scouring through the, uh, the library looking for, for a topic. And I come across this little obscure book that talked about our government interning Japanese Americans during World War II. This is the United States of America. We never did that. But I, I go with this book into my, my history teacher, and I go, Mrs. Tuttle, is this, is this true? Yeah, yeah. Well, why don't we ever talk about it? She says, well, keep studying. There's a lot of things we never talk about. Let that not be the case when we come to the Word of God. Let us see it. Let us talk about it. So we know the song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Pretty glad that didn't get incorporated into the worship set today. <laughs> Wee little man was he, he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And when the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm coming to your house today. For I'm coming to your house today. So dating myself as we go to the text, in the words of Paul Harvey, let's look at the rest of the story. Luke 19, beginning with verse 1. He entered Jericho and passing through And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried, and he came down, and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He was gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone or anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also... As a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Just kind of walk through the text and then uh, make a couple points. First off, just looking at, at where we're at here, this is, this is Jericho. Jericho was an important city. and you know, we, we hear about Jerusalem, and that's ultimately where Jesus is on his way. A week from this time, Jesus is going to be in Jerusalem and all the events of the Passion are going to unfold. But today he's in Jericho. and it's, It was an important city. had more water than Jerusalem. Uh, Herod had his winter palace there. And it was, it was really kind of a, a resort retreat area. And so there were, there were a lot of people there. It was, uh, with the winter palace and all, maybe kind of compare it to, to Camp David. And this was a place where leaders would go and, and vacation and retreat. It was a wealthy city. And there he comes across a man, Zacchaeus. Chief tax collector. That's the only time that this, this term occurs in Scripture. We have publicans, we have tax collectors, but only in Luke 19 do we have a chief tax collector. And we're going we're to talk a little bit more about the significance of of Jesus encountering and interacting with a tax collector, let alone the chief tax collector in just a minute. But understand, there's a precedent here. Jesus reaches out to people like that. Tax collectors, we we disparage of the IRS at times and whatever else. As we'll see in a minute, they've got nothing on the, the Roman tax collection system. But Jesus reached out to those who were involved in this, When everybody else in the community looked down on them and despised them. I want to just look real quickly at a text in, in Matthew 9 when Matthew is called by Jesus. And if you'll recall, Matthew was, in fact, a tax collector. So as Jesus passed on from there, Matthew 9, beginning with verse 9, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners... Came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Do you hear what Jesus is saying there? as he reclines with tax collectors and sinners, and the self-righteous religious elite are sitting over here snickering and going, what is he doing? There are those who say he's, he's a great teacher of Israel, and yet there he is. He's eating with scum. What is he doing? This cannot be anything like a teacher for me. This cannot be anything like the Messiah that we're waiting for. This man sits, reclines, and eats with scum. That's what the Pharisees are saying. And yet Jesus not only sits, reclines, and eats with, but calls Matthew as one of his disciples. He is even called at this point to be one of the authors of a gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus seeks and saves the lost. And one of the first criteria for the lost whom Jesus seeks and saves, they have to know they need saving. They have to know they need saving. Pharisees didn't know that. Matthew did. As we'll see, Zacchaeus did. So Jesus set the precedent. His call was to sinners, come to me. Come to me eat with me. We've had a life training class on on this topic and and it's important as we read through the gospel, see how many times there's references to Jesus eating with people. He came to seek and to save the lost and to a large degree he did it by sitting down and breaking bread with them. I know a lot of you today are going to be going to your community groups and uh, some, some of us next week. But as you sit and eat lunch together, think of the significance. Think of the grace that is going on when Christians, those of us saved by grace, called out by God for salvation, having been sought out by him, we can come together, and as those saved by grace, we can sit and we can break bread together in the presence of the Holy Spirit with God in that room. Jesus came, as the gospel says, eating and drinking. So a week from his crucifixion, he calls out to Zacchaeus, he says, out of the tree, I'm going to your house. So a little bit more about the tax collectors, like I said, it was a great system. Rome said, I I was reminded when I had a paper route, because when I had a paper route, we used to have to go door to door and collect. I'm going to fall off that little lip there, I know it. (laughs) It keeps feeling like it's higher than it is. But uh, I I, I had a paper route, and that was back in the time when we actually had to go and collect the the monthly fee. And the paper would give us, as the paper delivery boys, or girls, uh, a bill. And we would have to collect, and we got to keep above and beyond what the paper billed us. It was actually a pretty horrible system. Uh, The Roman tax system was very similar to that. Rome would go to, in this case, Zacchaeus, because he was the chief tax collector over Jericho, and I I don't know how far his province would have extended. And he said, this is what your tax collectors will collect and give to us. What you get above and beyond that, you can keep. You can see how this can go horribly, horribly wrong very quickly, right? Because they would basically shake people down for as much as they could get. The the reason the publicans, the tax collectors, were so despised is they were shaking people down for the very money and the resources that they needed to feed their families. They were impoverishing people and getting wealthy in the process. And it's a special note in the text here that Zacchaeus is identified as being rich. He was rich because basically he was an extortionist, he was a thief. He gave that to Rome, which they demanded, but demanded far more from the people in his community, and by that, he became rich. Um, But Zacchaeus, something different going on this day. He had heard about Jesus. Now, if if we look in, in the context, the chapter before, we see that Jesus didn't really come into Jericho quietly. It wasn't quite along the lines of the triumphal entry that we're going to see as he enters into Jerusalem in less than a week from, from when this t- takes place. But as he's coming into Jericho, there's a blind guy there. Jesus heals him. Word like that tends to get around, right? got a guy coming in, and he, and he speaks, and he puts his hand on people, and the, the blind begin to see. Remember, that's one of the things that's promised in prophecy of the Messiah. The blind will receive sight. And as he's coming into Jericho, Jesus does this. He has an encounter with a rich uh, ruler that we're going to just address briefly in a a minute. And so Zacchaeus has heard about Jesus. (laughs) And he wants to see him, even if it meant he had to suffer a little bit of humiliation. As we already kind of gathered, Zacchaeus probably wasn't the the most popular guy in, in Jericho. In fact, he was probably one of the most despised. But he was rich, so it's okay. But he was, he was new rich. See, Zacchaeus wasn't born into money. When, when we look at the rich young ruler in chapter 18, this was a man who was born into money in all likelihood. He was born into some sort of ruling class family. So he had old money. Zacchaeus is new money. Zacchaeus is a guy who shows up at the country club black tie affair in a plaid coat. So not only is he despised because of what he does and who he is, but he's a joke. He's a laughing stock. But he wants to see Jesus. Now, the text really doesn't say here if, if it's out of curiosity or if it's likely some sort of personal gain that he thinks he might be able to gain, but it doesn't matter. He wants to see Jesus. And there's a work of grace taking place here that puts Zacchaeus in his desire to see Jesus, whatever his initial motivation of his heart was, he wants to see Jesus, and it puts him in a tree. Okay? He climbs a tree to see Jesus. This is a grown man possibly wearing a plaid toga <laughs> and he wants to see Jesus so badly he will draw attention to himself in a in a negative way possibly humiliating himself to a point just so that he can see Jesus as he passes by so he rises above his physical shortcomings at work. It says he was small in stature, so if he was back in the crowd, he wouldn't be able to see Jesus as he passed by. And I'm sure, I'm sure there was some more snickering and derision going on here. As go, Look what that buffoon's doing now. He's climbing a tree? Something little kids do. Okay, side point here. That's good. So remember what Jesus says about children? Let the little children come to me. Because unless you come to me as a little child, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Faith that puts us in trees is not a bad thing. Zacchaeus is defined. Jesus calls him out by name. This is the only place we hear of Zacchaeus in Scripture. There is no account that there was ever any encounter between or interaction between Jesus and Zacchaeus before this point. And yet, Jesus calls him out by name. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Having been called out by the Savior, by name, in response to a faith that put him in a tree. It's a remarkable picture. And so, Zacchaeus responds, comes out of the tree with joy. And when they heard it, they all grumbled. This is different from other grumblers in the gospel. Because we have, in, in the text in Matthew, we, we saw the Pharisees and, and the self-righteous, they were, they were grumbling and they were gossiping amongst themselves. And you believe, you believe, this man doesn't apparently know or care that he's, Dining with those people. There's a significant difference between that text and this text, because here it says they all grumble. So despised and so infamous was Zacchaeus in this community. Everybody who was there was grumbling. Probably, though the text doesn't say it, but it does because it says they all were grumbling would include some of Jesus' disciples who have now been with him and being ministered to by him and and ministering along with him to a degree had been sitting under his teaching and now but we know from the events of this next week to follow, they didn't fully understand what was going on. And certainly we get a glimpse of that here too because they all grumbled. How would our... Rabbi, how would our teacher even dare to associate with the likes of Zacchaeus? And yet Jesus called him out by name. As the people just kind of shake their head and go, really, Jesus. Really? This guy? Don't you know who he is? This is this is an extortionist. He's 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 a thief. He's he's the chief scum. And you're saying you're going to his house? You weren't even invited. You just say, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. And Zacchaeus responds in a remarkable way, as we see, he says, to to the poor half of all my goods, half of everything that I have. Remember the text says he was rich. And more than that, I will, to anyone I have defrauded, I will make restitution times four. Now, there was a standard in Israel at this time for restitution payment that you would pay back what you had, had taken or what you owed, plus 20%. Zacchaeus, in responding to the grace that is poured out upon him right now, not to get anything, but in a response to the grace that is poured out upon him, says fourfold. Zacchaeus was giving from his wealth four times what he took. What he's saying here is that for the grace that I have received and (laughs) I'm now willing to physically impoverish myself to be able to completely enjoy this grace. Important that we note, and we'll talk about this more in just a minute, this was not for salvation. This was in response to salvation. Salvation. Which Jesus now declares that this outcast, this pariah, is a son of Abraham. Now the Pharisees are grumbling. Zacchaeus. That Zacchaeus. a son of Abraham. Gasps of disbelief. But Jesus responds with his ultimate mission statement. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost which really kind of begs the question, doesn't it? What of those who don't think they're lost? main point this morning then is those who, those who are called will seek Christ. Those who are called will seek Christ. I'm going to refer to three sub-points to kind of build on the main point. first one is this. Jesus seeking faith is exuberant. Jesus seeking faith is exuberant. Perhaps we could even say extravagant. This is the beginning of Zacchaeus being called to salvation. Even even if he were a bit uncouth, and even, even if we are a little uncouth, we all still carry with us a natural fear of man, if you will. And part of God's calling us for salvation is giving us for fear of Him, a holy and righteous way. Fear of God says, what can you do to me? I am being saved and have been saved by a great, the great God. You can laugh at me because I'm climbing a tree to see Jesus, but I don't care. Because what is more important is I have been called to see and get to know Jesus. This is not just the whim of Zacchaeus here at work here. This is God's saving, calling, grace. Putting in his heart, Zacchaeus, you need to see Jesus. And when we come to Jesus, that same calling, grace, Is poured into our heart. Saying, son, daughter, you need to see Jesus. Take whatever means necessary to see Jesus. And that is what Zacchaeus has done at this point as he climbs up into that tree. Let not fear of man get in the way of this exuberant faith. So easily we get caught up in, as we express our, ex- go to express our faith, what will people think of me? Okay. Some of us are more demonstrative, less demonstrative in, in how we worship, which is fine. Sometimes when we worship, and, 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 and it ought to be with exuberance. And, and oftentimes it is. I hope, I hope oftentimes it is for, for all of you. But sometimes our exuberance gets stifled a bit, does it not? Honestly, sometimes we're going, I wonder where that person next to me thinks if I do this. And we become inhibited in, in our worship of God. Calling faith. Christ-seeking faith has an exuberance about it. An exuberance that says, whatever means necessary, I want to see Jesus. I'm going to see Jesus. If you think ill of me because I'm doing whatever it is that I need to do to see Jesus, I fear God more than you. I am called to this. I want to see Jesus. It doesn't matter what the people around us think. It matters what God thinks. And it matters that God has called us. I I desire to, as as I grow in in Christ, to not decrease in exuberance as I physically mature, but to increase. That is one of the advantages of getting a little bit older. You lose your hair. Maybe you gain a few. Things kind of get wrinkly. And it's like, what difference does it make if I care what you think or not? <laughs> this body of decay is taking its toll. So as we, as we mature and as our bodies continue to decay and take that, that uh, march on to eternity for us Christians, let the exuberance of our faith, let the exuberance of our salvation increase. Because hopefully, as we mature in Christ, we care less and less what people think, and we care more and more what the Savior thinks. I I, I don't want to lack spontaneity in my worship and in my praise for the for the Lord. the, the, the Bible tells us, and uh, I I part of the soundtrack that is my head is is these words in a. Thanks, but I was ready. <laughs> Apparently I was sounding a little parched. Thank you. But there, there are certain songs and bits of songs, uh, and, and this was from a spiritual that, uh, again, it amazes me, the songs that uh, I sang when I was in the, the choir program in a public high school. Uh, we sang some stuff that I don't think they'd ever be able to sing now. But the, the line in one of those was right from Scripture. If I don't praise him the rocks are going to cry out. God will be praised. God will be worshipped. But let it be from His people. Because if we don't, the very rocks of creation will cry out. If you don't believe that, look out the window right here that's not there. Those rocks cry out in praise and worship to an awesome and a mighty God. And we as His people get to do the same. We have Zacchaeus again So I'm a a little man, and I don't know who or what this Jesus is, but I want to see him. Even if it means I'm going to be laughed at or criticized, perhaps he was thinking, I already am. What have I got to lose there? It's probably true for a lot of us. And I believe that this speaks, this, this exuberance of Zacchaeus saying, I must see Jesus, is A picture of God's calling grace. Another well-known text, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Many of us hopefully have it memorized. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, we don't do anything ultimately for our salvation. Because the very faith that, that drives us to see Jesus is a gift from God the calling of Zacchaeus to salvation started with the desire to see Jesus because that was given to him as a gift from God he was called to that tree he was called to that tree to see Jesus the Holy Spirit bringing Zacchaeus to a point of saving faith where he says I have to see Jesus I want to see this Jesus that I keep hearing about because you know that they were talking in the streets of Jericho. He's here. Did you hear what he did for the blind guy out there? Did you hear how, you know, that that rich young ruler, he's not named, which I find kind of interesting. Did you hear how Jesus kind of called him out? He put him in his place. Did you hear what he did? In that town, before he came here. There's something going on here. But not all said, I have to see Jesus. Zacchaeus, I have to see Jesus. Because God had planted that in his heart. And he drew him inexplicably and and irretractably to Jesus. And there were barriers for Zacchaeus. Not the least of which was, and it points out specifically, and I think with great cause in verse 2 of 19, that he was rich. Chapter 18, 23, just paragraph before, we have this interaction between Jesus and and the rich ruler, and he says, what must I do to be saved? Sounds like a good question, good place to start. What must I do to be saved? Jesus lifts off, basically obey the law, do everything you're supposed to. The rich ruler, not in a great place of humility, responds with, well, I've already done that. Does that sound a little bit familiar? Pre-saved Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, and Philippians, as as we've just been taught recently. (laughs) Accordance with the law? Blameless. Unrepentant, unsaved self-righteousness is a dangerous thing. And so the rich ruler responds to Jesus, all this I've done and more. Of course, Jesus knows that's, not, knows that's not true. So his response gets right to the heart of where he is not in obedience and compliance with the law of God. He's not standing before God holy and blameless. He's a sinner in needing of salvation by grace. And so he says, okay, fine. Sell all you have and give it to the poor. 1823 then says, tragic words, but when he heard these things he became very sad for he was extremely rich and he walked away from Jesus. Just a couple miles down the road, Zacchaeus, who was rich, was being called into a tree to see Jesus. Remarkable. Remarkable. Zacchaeus, see from the text in in verse 18 too, was that camel going through the eye of a needle. He had all the worldly trappings. And see, it wasn't that the rich ruler wouldn't sell his stuff and give it to the poor that brought about his demise and his destruction. It was the pride and idolatry about it. He had not come to the place where the preacher in Ecclesiastes, uh, likely Solomon, surrounded by all this stuff and one day he wakes up and he looks at it and he goes, "This it? Is this it? This can't be it. It's not enough. The rich ruler hadn't seen that yet. It was not his wealth that caused him not to be saved. Please hear that. It was the idolatry that came from the stuff, the not being able to see Jesus because, "I've got all I need." Till we see that we don't have all we need, we can never see Jesus. By God's grace. By God's grace, Zacchaeus, in many of us. Even in our wealth. By the world's standards, we sit in this room, wealthy people. Even some who maybe think, well, I'm not, I'm not really all that rich next to that guy. That guy. We live in this country, and we are a wealthy people. And we are surrounded by idols. And we are surrounded by temptation towards pride in our accomplishments. When all that we have is really just gift, it's a gift from God, we're not worthy of that. We're certainly not worthy of the salvation. And so God calls us out from our place of pride and say, no, no. Uh, I'm reminded of a, of a friend when I was in graduate school, He was a messianic Jew, and he he wore a yarmulke. And so one day I asked him. I said, Bob, why do you wear what's what's the symbolism behind the yarmulke? I've never heard. He says, I don't know for sure, but I know what my grandpa told me. He said, you put the yarmulke on your head, and it's a symbol of God's hand upon your head, saying, you're not so big, little man. We need that. We need that because that brings us to saving faith. That brings us to want to see Jesus. That's a faith that climbs trees. But it's a gift of God. Today's Reformation Sunday. Uh, so I would be remiss if I didn't at least bring one of the reformers into the, the mix here. I want to just read a quote about from Martin Luther about Zacchaeus. Martin Luther being, by many accounts, the father of the Protestant Reformation. And uh, much of what he did and his contemporaries are why we are here today. In this room, worshiping the way we worship, in accordance with the Word of God. So, with regard to Zacchaeus, Martin Luther says this, Zacchaeus did not want Christ to enter his house, and yet he did. That he did not is plain because he climbed a tree to see Christ go by and did not dare to invite him because he did not consider himself to be worthy. He would be satisfied with a look and to remain unrecognized. But that he really did want him to come is evident from this that he received him with joy. Which takes us to our second point. Jesus' call to salvation is cause for great joy. Jesus' call to salvation is cause for great joy. To already mentioned, when Jesus saw Zacchaeus in the tree and remarkably knew him by name, and we know Jesus Christ incarnate holy God and holy man. And at that that moment, recognizing this one as one whose name was written in in the book of life, this one who had come in flesh, taking on human form, not seeing his equality with God as something to be grasped, this one come to do the will of his father who sent him, said, Zacchaeus, hurry up, get out of the tree. I must go to your house today. It's an imperative. There is no... Zacchaeus, would you mind if I drop by? Zacchaeus, how about we do lunch? He called him out by name because he was called by God to salvation that day. Zacchaeus, come on down. I must go to your house today. I must go to your house today. And And Zacchaeus responds with the only response that we can have when we receive the call into salvation joyfully joyfully i must stay at your house today so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully while everybody else is standing around grumbling isn't that a great picture here is one coming into the fold as a child of god and everybody else stands around and grumbles let us be the exuberant one that's responding to the call of god God calls sinners to salvation, and there is no more amazing truth than that. Paul identified himself as chief among sinners. The same Paul who said, Before Christ, I stood before the law as blameless. And later on, he said, I was the worst of the bunch. And God calls us out of that sin. God calls us out of that sin. To salvation, called by Jesus, great grace. This is great grace, completely undeserved, completely unmerited. And yet all the riches of the kingdom of God are given to us when God calls us out to salvation and says, come out of that tree, hurry up, I must come to your house today. So Zacchaeus received him with joy, comes down out of the tree. And I don't think he was hearing the grumbling. I don't think he cared right now. Nor should we. We receive him with joy. Zacchaeus this day could say, "With the psalmist, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At my right hand are pleasures forevermore." Psalm sixteen, eleven. My right hand pleasures forevermore. Think back again. The preacher in Ecclesiastes looking around all the wealth, all the wealth that any person could possibly have, and saying, "Is this it?" And yet, those who are called into salvation can say, At my right hand are pleasures forevermore. The fullness of the kingdom has come. Salvation has come to his house. And when we recognize that truth, that reality in our lives, we're free to be able to say, Grumble all you want. Grumble all you want. I am an heir of Christ. I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Just a quick side observation. Last, last Sunday, uh, you know, we heard a, a wonderful message on setting our sights on heaven and dwelling there. And Nathan can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I made an observation. We sang all hymns last Sunday. And it struck me as we sung the last hymn. So, you know, we'll do, I we'll we'll love the worship here. We, we sing hymns. We don't always get that anymore, we sing hymns. We sang all hymns last Sunday, older hymns. Friends, I challenge you in response to this word and in response to the word that we heard last week from Pastor Steve, we need to think on heaven more because our generation doesn't think on heaven even enough to write new songs. Receive him with joy because you, called by God to salvation, you are now a citizen of heaven. You are called to dwell eternally in the kingdom of God. That calls for exuberant joy, amen? This is a great picture of God's grace, and yet, most grumbled. And it wasn't just the Pharisees. It was everybody. He was not seen by anyone there worthy of God's salvation, save for, by Jesus. And Jesus called him down out of his humiliation from a sycamore tree. I must stay at your house today. This is a great grace. Friends, will we grumble at such grace? We'll we rejoice. First, rejoice in our own salvation. But when we see others that are called, no matter what we may think of them, do not grumble at God's grace. Receive it with joy. Receive it with joy. When we have that person over here that we, for some reason, despise to our shame and to our sin, and God calls him to himself, it's time to rejoice, to receive him with great joy this is glorious eternity an extravagant response it takes us to our third point true saving faith will transform your life true saving faith will transform your life so we we ignore the self-righteous grumbling Zacchaeus responds to Jesus' calling correctly. Do not see in this text a legalistic striving for salvation. This is a man who has been called to salvation by Jesus, received him with joy. Jesus saying, I must come to your house today. I am coming to your house today. And Jesus then to that saving word responds in kind. When he responds with great joy, it is with a behavioral change. Zacchaeus transforms at that point, sinner saved by grace. He transforms from chief tax collector, chief shakedown artist, taking food out of the mouths of babies, literally, to I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it all to the poor said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Again, the context of verse 2. And he was rich. He's going to give half of it. This was not to get salvation. This was a response to salvation. Saving faith transforms our lives. We are not yet free. We are not yet free from remaining sin which ought to put us a posture of, of humility before God to where we can receive again the joy of God's salvation. Remember the psalmist as he's, as he's crying out in repentance to God for, for horrible sin. And any sin that we express in our life is horrible sin. But it's horrible sin. And one of the things that David cries out to God is, God, restore in me the joy of my salvation the joy of your salvation. Restore that to me. Because it's transformative in our lives. And this is all a response to God's grace. Looking again at Ephesians 2, moving on to verse 10. So we've been saved by, by faith through grace, the gift of God, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. And we come to verse 10, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Before Zacchaeus climbed that tree, God had prepared for him the works that he was going to do as a Christian, as a believer, as one being saved by God's grace and not out of any works that he did. God saved Zacchaeus. It was his work. And God has saved you and me. It was His work. And in doing that, transforms us such that even though we do not live in freedom from remaining sin, unfortunately, unfortunately, God has good works prepared for us to do. And when we do that, we are receiving Him with joy. To do the good works that are prepared beforehand for us to do in Christ Jesus because of our salvation. That is exuberant worship. And we do them with joy. So the progression, saved by faith through grace, a gift of God for good works that can only proceed from saving grace. There is no working for one's salvation here. This is works coming from the grace of God that God has given us in our salvation. Works coming from our salvation, not works to gain our salvation. That is one of the crux points of the Christian gospel. That is the theological linchpin that distinguishes the Christian church from all other religions. All other religions say, work to God. Work to your salvation. The Christian alone can say, I'm doing the good works preordained for me by God because by His grace, He has saved me. I work today because God has saved me. And I can rest. There is a rest that we have today even before we were resurrected, transformed into heaven. There is a rest that we have today because it is finished. It is done. We are saved. And our works are a thanksgiving and a worship. Offering to God. And so Zacchaeus responds, giving to the poor, making restitution, and then some. Having exchanged, having exchanged the false promises offered by riches and wealth to receive God's salvation. What a a tragedy. A tragedy when grace is offered and rejected for stuff, for temporal trinkets, things that shine, but ultimately offer nothing. Faith, grace, the work of God, and so we respond. Apostle James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Saving faith transforms our lives. There is no faith without works that God has preordained for us to do. Seek them. Worship with them. Because it is. It is worship to live the life that God has saved us to. Even as we anticipate and look forward to glory and to eternity in His presence when we no longer are going to see only by faith. We're going to be able to see by sight. We will be able to see the glory of God. And so today we do the work set out for us. Thanksgiving for the salvation we have in Christ Jesus. And that is real freedom. And so, Jesus, again to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. Friends, can you say that? I pray that you can. If you can't, if you can't say that, if you can't say salvation has come to this house today, if you can't hear that coming from Jesus, will you hear his call? Will you hear his call today? You too could be numbered amongst the book of life. You too could be called a son of Abraham, having received his grace freely and completely. We might fall on His grace in freedom from sin, even as we look forward to glory. Doing the works that God has set out for us to do, not to be saved, but because you are saved. Let's pray. Father God, what glory it is. Be able to hear and to know it's true. Here's a son of Abraham. Salvation has come to this house. God, let that be true for every, every man, woman, child in this room today. And Lord, that we would then take that incredible gift of saving grace and allow it to continue to transform our lives as evidence of the salvation that you have given to us. That we would continue to see your saving work at work in our lives with each day, with each day, with each day, even as we look forward to that great day of the Lord. when we shall be with you. Pray this to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is... Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.